0: Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We're recording this show on November 11th, 2016. Uh, this show is an update based on the unexpected-to-us election of Donald Trump to the office of President of the United States. We're going to go over a strategy for protecting yourself in these very uncertain times and give an outlook for the out- upcoming administration. Ronaldo, where do you want to start?
1: Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Matt. I, I, I think uh, anywhere you start is going to be um, a challenge, because where do you start with a story this big? Where do you start yeah. when something this enormous, this um, uh, it, it, this is a, like a tectonic plate shifting. Uh, yep. And so I think the, the, the maybe the way to start is that to, to, I've gotten a lot of calls from friends, uh, people who listen to the show, particularly people who uh, knew of my opinion, which um, I apparently was wrong about uh, on the last show. Uh, well, I was sort of right and wrong. Let me tell you what I said in the last show for those of you who didn't hear it. I said that the, you'd see an immediate panic, particularly in overseas markets, and then it would hit back on the U.S. pretty quickly thereafter. what happened was, in overnight uh, trading of the Dow, it dropped over 700 points when it looked like Trump was going to win. So a complete free fall. In fact, I I heard one report that it might have dropped almost 1,000 points. And it did that, and then the next morning when the markets in New York opened, everything was fine, and the Dow went up. In fact – it's, it's 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 quite remarkable. So I, I, I was looking at this happening and I said, gee, w- what happened here? And I started putting out some feelers and, and, and what came back to me is that the Trump transition team was smart enough and Wall Street was smart enough to connect with each other and say, look, what's going to happen when you guys take over? And they said, we're going to be just fine. We're going to be sane. We're going to do things that you people like. We're going to reduce the taxes on the upper income bracket. We're probably going to give a pass to people who want to bring offshore profits that have been untaxed, let them bring, give them a tax holiday and let them bring in hundreds of billions of dollars at maybe 5% or something like that, which is something Wall Street's always wanted. We're going to do a lot of infrastructure spending, which you know Wall Street wants. Uh, so we're going to stimulate the economy, and we think that's going to be good. And uh, you guys in Wall Street, just relax. <clears throat> Getting elected is one thing, running the country is something else, and we're going to do this like sane people. So what happened is Wall Street bought that, and, and, I, and I think the, the, the lead cheerleader right now uh, for Trump on Wall Street is Jamie Dimon. For those of you who follow the program, you know I'm no big fan of Jamie's, and um, it's interesting that he's already been cited by the Financial Times of London as a, basically a cheerleader for the Trump presidency and how it's going to help the economy. So clearly that message went out, uh, and it was received, and it's being acted on, and a lot of money is being made as a result. I think that the people who call me, however, uh, they ask me a very tough question. They say, you know, what's likely to happen? And, and I want to talk a little bit about Trump's psychology here. And then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something I shared with a friend named Ariel and someone else uh, named Jim. And I'm going to expand on it a little bit. Uh, but before I tell you what my advice was on what to do with their, lo- with their money uh, at this time, I want to just tell you about a, a, a profile. Trump that intrigues me is Donald Trump going to now that he's elected you know I've got to give him a lot of credit because obviously he was a lot smarter than all of us thought and he was able to climb over the backs of all the Republicans he decimated all the Democrats he said things that almost I mean no one but him could ever have said and gotten away with and yet he realized that the American people were so fed up it didn't even matter what he said as long as the way he said it had conviction in fact, you remember that quote from way back in the campaign? He said, you know, I could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and my ratings wouldn't go down. There was an element of truth to that that he was aware of that none of us all took seriously, meaning that what he was selling, people were buying, regardless of what the label looked like. Yeah. Now that he's been elected...
0: huh? Well, I'll, I'll get back to that if you want, but uh, I was just going to say, I think the other thing he was doing was talking to uh, the gaps in the messages that were coming from the other side. And doing so in a way that was much more convincing. I mean, he was speaking directly to the, to the problems people were having. Uh, and in doing so, he got them to overlook all the crazy and other things he was saying that may have been uh, morally reprehensible to some of them, but you know they, they were willing to look past that in order to throw a bomb into the Washington, D.C. elites. So I think it's a combination of hucksterism, but also really speaking to things that the other side wasn't really addressing well.
1: Well, and that's, and that's, a, you, that's a great I – mean, he's a salesman. And he, boy, look at how many people he sold over his lifetime. And yeah. now he's achieved the ultimate sales accolade. He has sold the American public. Now, he didn't get a majority vote, but he got the election handily in the Electoral College. So he sold the American public, he, he, I don't, and he really was a one-man band. I mean, I remember when the Republican Party wouldn't support him. In fact, even to the very right. end, they were very low-key in supporting him. So he built something from scratch that took the entire two-party system down. Now, the Republicans today are celebrating. I'll come back to that because that's part of why the Dow's going up. But what he has is apparently an incredible amount of skill as an order as a demagogue. Now, now, a demagogue can go one of two ways. It, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was a demagogue. And he used his articulation, his ability to stir and move people to create the modern America that we know, in fact, the modern world that we know. And if Trump – decides, if if the part of Trump's personality, his enormous ego, says to himself, you know, now that I've I've climbed to the top of the mountain, there is no higher position in the world. I did it by myself against opposition in every direction, so I did it. No one did it for me. I am my own man, and now what's left for me? What's left is I want to be perceived as one of the great presidents of all time. I want to go down in history as one of the people who should have been on Mount Rushmore. I want to talk about the great presidents and say, Washington, Lincoln, and Trump. Now, to do that, to to basically out-Reagan Reagan, Reagan, what he's got to do, because Reagan was, as you call, the gifted communicator, but not as good as Trump. Trump was better. So what he's got to do is he's got to create a country in which people thrive. So if things get out of control, he loses his legacy. He loses that position, if you will, on Mount Rushmore, metaphorically. So the one thing that could happen is that Trump could decide to actually govern the country and move it forward and upward because he controls the Republican Party, which now controls not only the White House, the Senate, the House, and the courts. So he has complete control of the entire U.S. government. If he chooses to use that control to break through the logjam that's been bottling up Obama for eight years to do things like infrastructure spending, it will help the economy. Uh, I think that he's going to get engaged in a lot of policies, like lowering the tax on the upper wealthy. That That's definitely going to hurt from a term of some inflation. Uh, I think there's a real risk to several other things that he could do, which would be very potentially destabilizing. But if he chose to run for the record book, if he chose to run to get his face on Mount Rushmore, metaphorically, then he will have to make the country work better, and you'll have to be willing to put aside the demagoguery that was divisive, that was um, idiosyncratic, that was negative, and frankly, that was white, anti-Semitic, misogynistic, and racist. Okay, so that's one way he could go. The other side of Trump, which we've seen clearly for quite some time now, is a guy who can be very petulant and pretty trigger-happy. And I think uh, if he goes that that way, he, will, he could become a person who uses – an opportunity that would arise, let's say an event like a major climate change event or uh, uprisings around the country about his policies, and he could impose martial law, and he could become, instead of one of the great presidents, the last president and the first führer. So he's going to choose. And, of course, Breitbart is right there having run his campaign. What I'm looking for, and this is going to be the key, is will he appoint Steve Dannon from Breitbart to be the the, um, uh, the head of his uh, chief of staff, because that individual who's the chief of staff is the control valve for the government of the United States. That's the person. Do you, do you put a white supremacist, racist, misogynistic, anti-Muslim? Do you put a guy like that, Breitbart of the alt-right. Do you put Dan in that position, or do you put somebody in who's perhaps not the most palatable person to the folks on the, on the left, but who is more of a business mechanic for government and policy. So the two names that are being floated are Rince Priebus and Steve Dannon. If he pr- chooses Priebus or anyone other than Dannon, it would mean that Trump is saying to, to Breitbart, which is really Richard McGillis who funds that, he funds Dannon, he funds uh, Kellyanne Moore, and he funds the chief operating officer of the Trump campaign, if he says to Breitbart and Richard, "Hey, I've stepped on everybody to get to here, and now that I'm here, no one owns owns, owns me, and I'm not going to be owned by Breitbart, so no, you can't have Steve Dannon in that position. I'll play footsie with you, ben, but you yeah. can't own it Deanon you ben, you can't yeah. You, yeah, you cannot um you cannot own me, no one owns me, including Breitbart. if he takes that position, it's a very good sign that we could we could have a survivable four years yeah if he puts breitbart in that position i would be very 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 concerned now we've had one indication today already just broken the news about an hour ago that he may be becoming more practical even as he speaks so uh he's removed chris christie as the head of his transition team and he's put in mike pence frankly i don't like mike pence's politics at all but i do think he's a decent mechanic christie isn't no And also Christie is, of course, marred with his history. So I think that he put Pence in a couple hours ago is the beginning of what we'll see. I'm going to watch very carefully who gets into the cabinet and what positions. And what I would say to the listeners on the show is we're going, to be, we're going to have to be very nimble, folks, because it's, it's not possible to predict with any confidence where this is all going. Right. And when we get to the end of the show, I'll tell you how I think, or maybe if you want, I'll do it now, how I think this can be managed.
0: Let me uh, let me Carol interject science. for a second before before we go there, but that's very important, so do keep listening for that. We're going to have an actual strategy here, and what Ronaldo and I have talked about doing is doing more frequent updates and really dedicating part of the show to essentially Trump Watch, uh, guiding as much as possible and as much as we know uh, through the news and cutting through the headlines as much as possible to really tell you what the structural pieces of this administration are. Are and how they're going to affect you and the markets and uh, the society at large, but Ronaldo, one thing you pointed to and I think is a really good point is Donald Trump on Twitter, which is basically the most direct access we've had to the mind of a now president in history, and we watched him swing between the petulant Trump and the potentially uh, ego inspired. Uh, I don't know. I want to find a. I want to find a term for this, but the proud Trump, the Trump that wants to succeed. And this was in response to the spontaneous protests that have been cropping up around the country, essentially with minor property damage, but mostly peaceful. Um, The first tweet was what my computer is telling me is 21 hours ago. And it said, just had a very open and successful presidential election. Now professional protesters incited by the media are protesting. Very unfair exclamation point. So that was his demonstration of I'm going to continue this campaign narrative of me against the world and uh, blame and consp- create conspiracy theories to advance my agenda. And then Ronaldo, what, what do you think happened in between then and his next tweet?
1: Well, I think that um, and, and thank you for correcting me when I said Dan. And I meant Bannon, of course, Steve Bannon. Um, the, the 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 possibility is. That the first tweet was, tweet was the reactive Trump who was still in the campaign in battle mode. And somebody like Kellyanne took him aside and said, Mr. President, you are no longer campaigning. You have won. You are the president-elect. Therefore, you don't want to govern from that place You want to govern from a different place because you can afford to be generous. You want, and what will happen is you'll attract more people to your agenda, you will reduce resistance to your programs, and you will go down as a great man in history. That's what I think happened.
0: Yeah, and then the next tweet he sent out said, love the fact that small groups of protesters last night have passion for our great country. We will all come together and be proud, exclamation point. I mean, it's about as radical of a swing as you can have between two tweets, and, you know, it was, it was about, I think it was 10 hours later, uh, he sent that second one. So I think we're watching his psychology unfold in real time here, Ronaldo, and it's just something that we have to continue to watch yeah. closely yeah, and, and that's react what I'm
1: to. Talking about. That's what I'm talking about. We, which Trump will win out? The Trump that is the Trump that will try to stand for history? That, that having achieved the highest accolade of any human being's life, will he then strive to go down in history as a great man? Or will he let his small self get in the way i think um he's always had a sense of greatness about him he's always thought he was going to be great he's achieved it now so he's really going to check out i mean he, is he going to be a great president or the and, and the last one and the first Fjorder, or is he going to be a great president and we will have another presidential election in four years and again one in eight years uh, my hope is he will seek to prove that he's that smart and that capable and that he belongs on mount rushmore Uh, and that will hopefully give him a sense of how to govern because he has nothing more to gain and he will never have to worry about money again as long as he lives I mean, I hope he doesn't abuse his position he certainly can Um, but whether he does or he doesn't whatever he was worth before he's worth a whole lot more and now it's probably unlimited what he's worth and he'll be able to walk into any room in the world if he, he leaves the office with his head held high as a quote great man Conversely, there are any number of dictators around the world who, when it came time to leave office, couldn't because to do so would have caused them to be arrested or imprisoned. You know, I don't know where this is going to end. I'm hoping and praying that it's going in the positive direction and that, you know, there's an old saying, behind every gray cloud there's a silver lining. So I'd like to see that silver lining, and I hope the Trump that wants to be famous for all time will emerge. You know, just to touch on how badly uh, those of us who thought uh, the markets would react. Uh, you know, the I'm looking at the – there was a report put out just a couple of days before the election, and among those analysts, the top analysts, the following companies all predicted a dramatic drop if uh, Trump won, and that was J.P. Morgan, uh, Chase, uh, Morgan Stanley, um, Barclays, um, there was even the Bridgewater Associates put out a report saying the market would fall two thousand points. They were almost right.
0: Well, yeah. You know,
1: so there were a lot of people uh, like me who thought that uh, a Trump victory would 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 literally end, um, would would just crash the Dow. So what's happened is that, that did not happen. And my thinking is, he's got to be feeling pretty good about that. Now, I'm I'm very very concerned that he does not understand, and I've expressed this before the vicissitudes of international finance, and particularly international monetary flows. So he pr- he probably doesn't understand the real risk that Europe is under right now, uh, the yeah. fact that Deutsche Bank is hanging by a thread, the fact that um, uh, that many senior banks in, in France are in deep trouble, and virtually every major bank in Italy is upside down. So he doesn't understand that, he doesn't, and he doesn't understand the implications of Brexit which, by the way, is having an interesting development, folks. I don't know if you noticed, but the equivalent of the British Supreme Court said that the vote does not take effect unless Parliament also votes, because a vote of Parliament was required to put Brexit together, to put the union together, it would take a vote of Parliament to pull it out. Um, My personal theory on how Parliament could use that to get out of the Brexit thing would be to say, okay, we'll have another referendum, and everybody in Parliament will vote their vote, consistent with the majority of votes in the, each of their districts. They call them writings mm-hmm. in England. And, um, and if, that, if, if that vote came out against Brexit, then it would be because it was a referendum, and therefore right. people couldn't complain. And I don't – if I were Prime Minister May, I'd be working hard to make that happen. Uh, that so, Supreme Court case is a godsend.
0: So before we go too far into what's what may happen in the near term, I want to just put a little cap on what we've said so far, uh, just for people who are following along and who are going to keep following these updates in the days to come. Um, we have two choices. We have the petulant Trump uh, or the proud Trump. And we don't know who we're going to get, but we're going to keep looking at it and keep evaluating it and keep bringing you as much information as we can um, we also really do appreciate your feedback and thoughts on all of this. And feel free to send us an email to info at worldbusiness.org. Again, that's I-N-F-O at worldbusiness.org. Ronaldo, there there's a number of things that we think could happen. And the speculation game has been running wild and furiously since the election on Tuesday night. Um, there's a few that you wanted to focus on, including Brexit uh, uh, there and, and the uh, financial system. Uh, you know, I would say that my biggest question that I'm having crop up in my life, people are asking me is, you know, what's going to happen here, both in the policies and issues that they care about, and the macro picture that you were just starting to go on. Um, where where do you yeah, well, start on that? I mean, a big one I know well, that you care about is, is is Obamacare.
1: Yeah, well, let's let's bridge from. So the reason I brought up Brexit and the European situation and the banks is because people need to know that this is dangerous. Um, yeah. This is like um, this is the quintessential potential bull in a china shop, and I don't think he knows enough or is sophisticated enough to understand how all the gears in this very finely tuned Swiss watch, if you will, to mix metaphors, actually operates. So, mm-hmm. without intending to crash it's, the financial system, it's, it's like walking
0: system, through a it's like walking through a minefield.
1: Yeah, and he, and he, and he, he wouldn't intend it to crash the financial system; he'd just do it by accident because it's so tenuous right now. A misstep could set off, as you pointed out, a landmine. So, so uh, that's a real concern, and you'll see when it comes up to my recommendations why I'm becoming so uh, cautious in my investment advice is because we really can't see into the future yet, and that's why I think these updates will be important. We're going to be trying to read all the tea leaves we can, and I'm going to be looking for fundamental things that are happening. Um, does, does Bannon get the nod, or does someone like Priebus or better? That'll tell us a tremendous amount. Um, uh, the Republican Party, as I said a moment ago, has coalesced around the president, uh, around Trump, because they believe all these things they've been doing. And I mean, how many they vote? 68 times to kill Obamacare, so now they've got the ability to kill it. And the problem they have is they never did come up with what they replace it with. So now they're going to they're going to have to figure out what to do. And my guess is, for example, the people who will tell them what to do are the big insurance companies. So look for those companies to do extremely well in this administration um big oil and and gas will have a very strong ear of trump's but their problems are bigger than trump their problems go to supply and demand so i am still not thinking that they're going to do all that well although they will appear to do well because of the influence they'll have in the administration you know oil dropped another three dollars a barrel today It's down at forty three dollars and that's about where it belongs and i don't see it going above 65 so we're in that range and in that range it's very problematic for russia which will continue to decelerate economically, which puts interesting questions on the table I'd like to get back to at the end of this with Putin. Uh, It puts tremendous pressure on Saudi Arabia, all the Gulf states. It puts tremendous pressure on many factors of the global economy. So with all that happening, um, it seems to me that there's a possibility uh, we will have some real international destabilization, and he could accidentally trigger it into a conflagration, which is why I'm so cautious. Um, At the same time, as I said earlier, if if the Trump that wants to be uh, on Mount Rushmore, if that Trump emerges, um, he'll probably let the generals, who he thought he knew more than he'll let them, hey, finish off Mosul, and I'll claim victory because it happened on my watch, even though it's about 80% done right now. Uh, The capital of the ISIS capital is Raqqa. It's already being attacked right now, and it's going to fall sometime in the next year. He'll claim credit for that. And I say, good, claim credit and end it. Uh, I don't think he's going to do something foolish with, when it comes to that overseas operation. What he does with regards to um, domestic intelligence spying, what he does with regards to how we use our national intelligence services, what he does in regards to how he chooses to punish or reward uh, international actors like Putin who have used um, cyber attacks on us, um, you know what he does with all that – will tell us a lot about what kind of president he's going to be and whether or not we have to worry about it long term. So who else besides – in the domestic scene, so we've covered a little bit of the the foreign scene, uh, who else besides insurance companies uh, is going to – I think, well, of course, people in the highest tax brackets. The rich will get richer now. Uh, Their taxes will go down. Uh, They're going to have a hard time making those taxes up, and that's going to create inflationary pressures. It's also going so to wait, tend let's, to.
0: Let, let's slow down there. I think that's really important. So, you're saying that you're, you're confident that the Republicans will get some tax changes done to lower the taxes on the wealthy. And absolutely. in doing so, they're going to create an added deficit and inflation pressures as a result?
1: Correct. Exactly. They've been saying forever they wanted to do it, they still believe in the discredited theory of trickle down economics. The Laffler curve, which was laughed at because it was what Reagan believed in and, of course, was found to be totally not true. Remember, we spent ourselves into a hole, and it was when Clinton came in, we started digging out of that hole. We crashed into another hole under Bush, and it was Obama who slowly but surely got us out of that hole. So there are a couple of forces, which I'll touch on, that are going to help the middle class. But all in all, unless he comes out for something like um, free college education or some other – large inducement for the middle class i don't think infrastructure spending alone will cause the gap to start closing again between the rich and the middle class because they are be doing so much for the rich
0: that gap between rich and poor is inherently destabilizing and bad for the economy I mean, in your opinion right i mean Absolutely. all alone, Absolutely. regardless of the rich getting richer that spread between those two is just bad for economics
1: yeah yeah i mean let i mean to be truthfully honest i mean i don't i mean i uh uh, as a moral person i think it's it's wrong in a moral sense but i as an economist it's crazy because we are a society that runs on the on the the back of the middle class if the middle class is not prospering we won't prosper because we're a consumption economy so i think he's going to have a lot uh, he's going to have a lot to do to learn and to respond properly to how he moderates what he wants to give away to the rich, including himself, and how he's going to help the middle class stay at least where it is and not slide further backwards, because that was his ba- his base is basically middle class. It's not the poor. And as you know, Matt, uh, just uh, three months ago, for the first time since the seventies, the ri- the middle class started closing the gap, and real disposable income went up faster in last year than it did at any time since nineteen um, seventies. Um, so so it was working unemployment's at 4.8 percent or 4.9 percent so that was working but as as good as it was working it wasn't working fast enough and people didn't have confidence it would work for them and now we're in the situation where the people who voted for him most likely are the ones who will be hurt the worst now the poor will continue to be poor but there's a couple things that are happening that's going to moderate that one of them is that so many states have now passed um, increases in the minimum wage and in fact Every state where that was on the ballot passed even in this election. Uh, You have other companies who are now clearly aware that a higher minimum wage actually is good for business. You have entire cities like Seattle and Los Angeles and others, where San Francisco, where they've proven that they do better with a higher minimum wage. So it's clear to me that the higher minimum wage is going to help the people on the very bottom rungs of society. And the pressure to make that minimum wage acceptable will continue To be left untouched by trump because that doesn't really hurt him um the problem he's got is if he's going to take away a couple of trillion dollars in tax breaks for the rich where's he going to get that money from who's going to have to make that up how well if he decides to let it go to deficit that's very inflationary and if he decides to take it out of somebody's pocket the only pocket big enough is the middle class so it, it, it remains to be seen how the he will do this. But we do know what this looks like because we've seen it before. It's classic Republican trickle-down economics. Uh, I mentioned the tax holiday. I'll bet you anything he does a tax holiday for all the offshore uh, profits that have been accruing for years and years. Uh, and they many, many companies, and the Fortune 1000, I'll bet you at least a third or more, have a huge amount of money stashed overseas, and they want to bring it home but they can't because it's not taxed. They don't want to have it taxed at U.S. rates, even though they're a U.S. company. Uh, he'll probably do something like a tax holiday and say, i tell you what, anything you bring back we will only charge you 5% instead of the normal corporate rate. And if he did that, hundreds of billions of dollars would flow back into the U.S. economy, and that would be very good for the economy and would actually help consumer spending, uh, as would infrastructure spending, would help consumer spending. So there are all these different complex things going on, these industries, some of which are going to be winners, some of which are going to be losers. But I think the overall picture says highly likely that you're going to see some wage push inflation combined with higher deficits. The wage push inflation means the people on the bottom get a little bit more money, and the unemployment rate stays low. They demand more money. They've got to get paid more money, and unemployment rate stays low. That, that keeps building wage pressure, which creates inflation. And I think it's in his interests to keep the unemployment number low. So what's he going to do to get the money back when he creates the, the gap between what he's spending and the income he's no longer collecting from the wealthy? And I suspect what he's going to have to do is put up with a lot of inflation, which, as I said at the beginning of this session, uh, I want to come back to because it, the, the likelihood of inflation ties directly to my recommendation for what people should do at this time.
0: Yeah. So Okay, let's get I mean, to Let's get there in one second, but I, I also want to know what you think about domestic policy, other pieces of domestic policy that you're going to be watching closely. I mean, I think that the biggest one that so many people I know who have uh, health, health insurance and health care because of Obamacare are worried about is you know, ending that program as they know it and getting kicked off the rolls and back into the ranks of the uninsured.
1: Yeah, I mean, if that were to happen, it would be catastrophic. You've got 20 million people. In fact, over 100,000 just signed, new ones have signed up since the new enrollment period started. Um, I, I don't think it's practical. I, I don't think you can end it like dead full stop. Uh, Paul Ryan said yesterday that they would come up with some way to, quote, wean people off of it or I mean, basically over time take them off. Uh, the Republicans are saying, well, we'll just get rid of the mandate. It'll be fine. But without the mandate, it probably doesn't work. Um, the insurance companies are going to push for a bigger piece of the pie. They already have an enormous piece of the pie. You know, one of the things that was really working under Obamacare was that the uh, the rate of increase in insurance um, expenses and profits, frankly, was starting to come down. Right. And so they want to get back up to where they were because they are the uh, the most, uh, without doubt, the, the the medical cost section of the economy was what's been crippling us for the last 15 years. And my guess is it's going to get bad again. So it was starting to get good and now it's going to get really worse again. Um, I think that it's entirely possible they will try to do something where they create some kind of a artificial safety net. It won't be realistic and I think it will end up with uh, extremely high spikes in the cost of health insurance uh, health care generally because, so many people end up back in emergency rooms. See, what Obamacare did is it took people out of emergency rooms and put them into hospitals, which is a lot cheaper, and doctor's offices, and dealt with preventive care. Uh, Those are all positive things for the economy. What the Republicans have always wanted is not positive for the economy. And so between the power of the insurance lobby, which is enormous, uh, and the, the greed, which is unrestrained of the insurance companies, candidly, I I see a real bad thing coming for people who are going to have to find a way to get insured. I am hoping that what will happen is uh, companies will start to pick up the slack as a way to keep their workers safe. Because uh, without insurance, uh, any of us is one tragedy away from bankruptcy. Uh, I don't want to go into it on the air, but as you know, Matt, I've been dealing with an enormous problem in my family, a medical emergency. And the two weeks of surgery as in hospitalizations and emergency room and intensive care that a member of my family's gone through is going to be a, a decent six digit number for sure and it's not over yet. Thank God wow. we're insured. I mean I can't yeah. imagine what I'd do if I wasn't insured. I mean I'd be upside down. I mean that'd be the end of the academy. It'd be the end of I mean I'd be back um looking for work like a twenty year old. I mean it's 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 it, it's that bad. Because that yeah. one event catch you by surprise if you're not insured is going to, to take you down. So, um, I think those are the kinds of factors that we want to be looking at all the time, week mm-hmm. by week, day by day, week by week, month by month. Uh, I'm really interested if people would like I will start a Twitter feed and start putting that out to people if they want, with which with with like short updates on what I see. Uh, Obviously, I don't have a pure crystal ball. I am proud of the fact that I predicted the crash that did happen overseas. What I didn't see was the ability of the Trump transition team to so effectively communicate, probably with Jamie Dimon, but through him to everybody else on Wall Street, that happy days were here again. So what's happened in the last 24 hours is the Republican hierarchy has been dancing in the streets going, we've never had it this good and he does, in fact, control who will be the Speaker of the House, and the Speaker of the House knows it. He controls who will be the head of the Senate, the majority leader, and the majority leader knows it. So I think what we're talking about here is a guy who created the coattails he needed to have a Congress that will back him and the power of the office in a way that we haven't seen in a very long time, And I'm hoping that he will choose to use it, even though he's going to do a lot to grease a lot of his friends in business. By the way, I'm very concerned about uh, Glass-Steagall, although he said he was for it uh, during the campaign. He's taken so many positions on so many things that are opposite to each other. You can't really tell where it comes out. Um, I sincerely hope he doesn't collapse the Consumer Protection Bureau. Uh, The CFPB is already doing a phenomenal job. Uh, If he lets Wall Street run wild... Clearly, we'll have another crash, another crash, the crisis. So we are not out of the woods. We're we're a long <laughs> way from out of the woods. We're just, we're just getting
0: into the woods. Although.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just going in, and it's a dark wood. And we've got to be very vigilant, and we've got to be optimistic, and we've got to know that, uh, by the way, I want to make one comment about what's going on with these protests, Matt.
0: Sure. I'm
1: really, really against these current protests, and I'm particularly against the violence. And the reason I'm against them is,
0: how do you define violence?
1: Well, when somebody throws a Molotov cocktail in a shop window, when someone trashes somebody's car on the street. Right. When so property, somebody property
0: destruction as opposed to human violence. But yeah, no, I, I understand. Well, it, it, both. It, it, I mean,
1: human violence without, goes without saying. But typically, yeah. property destruction precedes human violence.
0: Well, yeah, I, I agree that it's a it's a very bad tactic. Uh, I think I think the peaceful protest actually does make sense, so we may differ on that, but the, the Well no, no here's, my, is no, here's my point,
1: Matt. No, no, no. Peaceful protest protest makes tremendous sense. But it's gonna work better if it's targeted. If you sure. protest in the abstract the guy got elected, well you're protesting a fact that already occurred. What I think Elizabeth Warren said uh, last night on the Rachel Maddow show, or the night before, it was, it was last night, I guess, was far more intelligent. What she said is, okay, we've got to keep the tom-toms beating. We've got to keep in touch with each other. We have to be poised to organize in a moment for the issues that we really care about. Right. Anything that he's going to do that we like, we're going to support. Anything he's going to do that would, would cut at the core of our values, we have to be willing to fight all the way. And, and she's right. So it's, it's more about vigilance. It's more mm-hmm. about – and by the way, I hope everybody who's you – know, of the 50.1% of the people who voted for Hillary, I hope they don't go away. I just want them to get smarter, and I want them to be organized, and I want them to be really effective. And when you complain about something that's already happened, it really doesn't do a whole lot of good, and it, and it dulls the impact of a future protest, which is targeted to something you really want people to pay attention to. I also think it's easier for a protest to be taken over by anarchists and cheapened if it's not clear what it's about and what the goal is. So um, let's hope uh, Martin Luther King was right and that the long arc of history does bend towards justice. Uh, Let's hope that Trump would like to see himself on Mount Rushmore and not see himself the Nuremberg trials. Let's hope he's going to be intelligent with the nuclear codes. And let's hope that we are able to have another election in four years. And let's believe that we will. And let's act like that and be prepared to see a lot of things, including Roe v. Wade, is probably going to go. Women's health is going to go. Um, I would doubt that Planned Parenthood is going to make it through this. And if it does, it's going to be uh, substantially chastened and reduced. So all of the issues which people should have come together and voted on in massive numbers, particularly people of color and women, they didn't show up. People kept saying, "Well, the women are going to vote against him." They didn't vote against him. People of color showed up pretty good, but I heard that the Hispanic vote in Florida for Trump was roughly the same percentage as it was for Romney. If that's true, it's it's a, it's a tragedy of the tragedies. So um, I guess where we are is at is we. I hope we have a democracy in two years so that we can have more congressional elections. I hope we have a democracy in four years so we can go to the box, ballot box and elect another president. I am prepared for a lot of defeats the next four years, and I hope that none of them are like torpedoes below the waterline. I hope yeah. the defeats we have are ones we can survive and move on from. And I hope that 20 million people are not thr- thrown under the bus.
0: So I want to take a step back because if we're going to start doing Monday morning quarterbacking on this election, you know, we, we have to cover that a little bit in more in depth. You know, blaming voters is relatively easy, but blaming leaders is pretty, is much more obvious to me. I mean, if you, if you don't inspire people, they're not going to show up for you. And as much as I'd like to think that Hillary Clinton was an inspiring figure, she obviously wasn't. Uh, and even against a demagogue, she still lost. And I think it's because she was trafficking the same, tired and out-of-touch rhetoric of the Democratic Party elites that they've been banking on since Bill Clinton, and it's just not working anymore. So there's, there's some deep reflection that needs to go on within the Democratic Party, and they need to get back to their roots where they used to actually represent working class and poor people and stop falling in love with the money and the uh, kind of elite fame of the Davos set.
1: Well, you know, I think that um, there's, there's a trap that the Democrats fell into. If you look at how much money they spent this year, they outspent the Republicans substantially, right? Yes. So their strategy of be more middle of the road so we can attract more, quote, traditional money, close quote, turned out not to be a good one. Um, If you look at the strategy of organization, we'll have the best organization on the ground, we'll be the best mechanics, was not a good one. Why? Because this was a wave election. This was an election that got decided by emotions, not by thoughtfulness and your point about Hillary not being the most effective um, inspiring uh, campaigner is true however she was the most effective Democrat as much as I like Bernie and you know everybody's Monday morning quarterback to say well if Bernie had been the candidate Bernie would have done Bernie tried to be the candidate now would we be willing in the Democratic Party for example to get rid of um, the superdelegates
0: I would. So that uh, would like,
1: well, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> saying, but, but I'm just saying that these are the kinds of changes that if you're going to see a change in the Democratic Party, if if, if the right. Democratic Party is going to go back down to its roots, it's going to get rid of superdelegates. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a much more open process. Uh, I thought that the 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 fact that the WikiLeaks dump happened was shameful beyond belief, because clearly our election was interfered with by the Russians, and everybody knows that. But when you Even read Russia those, has you, admitted
0: such. I mean, they were talking to the Trump campaign. They're telling us now. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. They, in fact, um, yeah, yeah. They 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 finally admitted it. Um, uh, they they Proudly. just the other day. I, what? What? Proudly. Yeah, no, Putin of course. I mean, Putin smiling.
0: Putin's, yeah.
1: Yeah. Putin smiling because he 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 played it cool and he did it. Yeah. In fact, yeah. people don't realize that in the New York Times today, they were talking about the headline of the story is Russian officials were in contact with Trump allies. Diplomat says, and it tells this whole story of how it happened. Um, and um, it, it quotes the Russian who was in charge of it. But... but it's yeah, astonishing. But, yeah, but, <laughs> the, the, astonishing. The point I wanted to make is that what is tragic what about is, those WikiLeaks is that is, Donna Brazil did Donna take Brazile. a dive. And if we want the quote other side to have a higher set we of values, values. Yeah. we have to have a higher we
0: set of values. values. So I think the tragic part is that Donna Brazile and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the DNC interfered with the process to get the the candidate they wanted. The WikiLeaks revelation was bad in that it was it came time to hurt the the process and and was very troubling right. because right. of implications. But the facts that were exposed were actually the fault of the DNC, not of the Russians or of WikiLeaks.
1: That's right. That's exactly right and 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 you know of course if we, if if WikiLeaks had been dumping Republican internal memoranda they'd have been hacked i'm sure it would have been equally bad or worse
0: yeah absolutely but my
1: point but my point is there will be in fact um uh there was a commentator on the news this morning on CBS Republican who said uh, Daniel Dan senior if you know him from the Bush administration, and he was saying you know, everybody thought there was going to be a Republican bloodbath, which I thought would happen when Trump lost because the, the party would be split down the middle, or two-thirds, one-third. And uh, the, res- the reverse has happened. He said, no, the real, what's real what we didn't see coming is it's the Democratic Party that's now going to be split. So what you're going to have are the powerhouses in the Democratic Party are going to be Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and they're really going to control the base. And you're going to see people like Sherrod Brown, and others
0: completely who, got with who got elected back to office. Russ Feingold, who came back.
1: He didn't get elected.
0: Oh, he 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 lost. That's right. He was expecting he to get elected, but he lost. Okay, sorry.
1: And by the way, there's a good example. No, The other guy they were going to run against, the Republican, dropped out because he was asked to. Feingold had $10 bucks to deal with the race, so he had plenty of money, again, plenty of organization, right? Same trap. And the problem is he hadn't been in the state since he lost – since he left as a senator, he was a lobbyist, which is the kiss of death right now, and he randomly lost so so he wasn't seen as the crusading Russ Feingold anymore right and, and and by the way i'm I'm absolutely discouraged beyond belief with what happened down in Florida because the the, 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 the washerman Schultzes decided to block Grayson, so they could put in Patrick Murphy because Patrick Murphy ostensibly came with ten million bucks from his dad, and Murphy got his clock cleaned by Rubio. Now, I don't know that Grayson would have. I think Grayson could have won that race. But again, it's Monday morning quarterbacking. My, uh, and by the way, I hope that Grayson links up with Warren and Bernie Sanders and they build some kind of a national make mechanism. I, I'd love to see Grayson as the executive director of a national initiative that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren would, would embrace along with Howard Dean and a few other people. In fact, I heard that Howard Dean is up possibly is to be chairman of the DNC. which I think would be great. Yeah, and I know that Bernie's already endorsed Keith Ellison, so we'll see where yep. that all comes up.
0: Well, anyway, I, yeah, I, I think that that's a that's a pretty good capstone. There's going to be plenty more Monday morning quarterbacking to do, and this is another trend we'll be following closely on the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and here's the point: Why are we following it, folks? We're following it because I really care. I care about the country. I care about everyone's, you know, nest egg and how to preserve it in these perilous times. Because believe me, these are perilous times. And um, I really want to give the benefit of everything I can do and all the analysis and every little detail and every fact I can find. I want to be able to give that benefit to everybody listening to the show and pass it along to your friends. And I don't know that I'm going to be right all the time. I'm going to be thoughtful. I'm going to be looking at fundamentals. I'm not going to get caught up in in, in bubble gum and cotton candy. I'm not going to get bedazzled. That's never happened. But um, hopefully I will be accurate enough that I will help you protect what you've got as best we are able in what could be very perilous times. With that, let me switch to what I told Ariel, Jim, and a couple other people. I said, uh, we cannot tell where this is going. So what I did is I told everybody on the show, I converted my mutual funds to gold and cash. And what I told Jim and Ariel, once Trump got elected, I said, okay, here's what I would recommend. I still believe, and by the way, gold fell $3 today, which is not a lot. That's less than about 2-point-something percent. Um, Gold uh, is is going to be supported ultimately by the inflationary pressures I just told you are going to happen starting next year, right? So you're going to see inflationary pressures kick in certainly within three to six months, if not sooner. When you do, gold is a hedge against inflation. So there's a downside protection on gold. It can't drop that far, I don't think, given the inflationary pressures that you're almost unavoidable. And that's what the best scenario. I mean, the other thing people use gold for is to protect themselves against uncertainty. And if the bad Trump shows up, you'll be awfully glad you got some gold in your portfolio. So my thought would be, at this stage, knowing as little as we know, I would recommend people get into a no-load gold fund. When I say a gold fund, I'm not talking about owning a fund that has stocks of mining companies that own gold mines. I'm talking about ETF well, I'm talking about funds that hold actually the metal itself. Those funds will go up in value dramatically if there's some crazy event that happens. Conversely, uh if inflation kicks in as I'm almost certain it will under the under the good scenario inflation kicks in, right? That's the best we can hope for. Uh, the gold price will rise. So I see very little downside in holding some gold right now and a lot of protection given the uncertainty. So I'd be at 25% gold right now. And 75%, I would be in mutual funds and ETFs, which are no loads. And that's very important. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Um, And and as everybody on the show knows, I get no commission whatsoever from First Affirmative. But First Affirmative, which is the oldest financial advisory firm in America, 30 years old, uh, founded by my friend, George Gay, who I got to know just in the last 10 years and run by President Steve Sheath, who I've got tremendous respect for, only has ETFs and and, and, and mutual funds that are no-load funds, meaning you can get in and get out without paying a commission. Why is that important? Because you want to have 100 different places to move your money and not have to pay every time you hop. If you see something coming which portends high inflationary pressure – you're going to move to something that's counter-cyclical, counter-inflationary. If you see a growth spurt coming because of infrastructure spending and he's making all the right moves, you want to move into something that can can, can reward you for that. So you want to be very nimble. I think the number one criteria right now is you want to be nimble. You want to be able to go wherever you have to go very quickly and without a penalty. So that's why I think 25% is the insurance policy and 75% – spread amongst those mutual funds and uh, ETFs, which are no load, so there's no commission involved, and uh, they give you the ability to switch between them with ease, with a single phone call. That's what I'm doing for myself. That's what I recommend for other people. What about real estate? Uh, I think high-end real estate could start having a really good time, given the fact that the wealthy are going to see better times coming. I mean, as good as it's been for the wealthy, it's going to get even better. And so you're going to see more luxury homes. You're going to see more yachts, more private airplanes. So if you want to bet on that, there are funds you can buy into buy into that. So you can bet on that. Um, But I personally don't think that I want to have any more money than I absolutely have to in real estate. Because real estate, by definition, is not nimble. It's not liquid. So when I say nimble, what I really mean is you want to get something that is easily able to be liquefied and or changed into another form of asset with one phone call. Real estate doesn't have that advantage. So I'm not saying you should sell what you got, but I'm certainly saying if you got real estate, I certainly wouldn't be adding to my portfolio right now. What else can I advise people? What about real estate investment trusts or or REITs? Well, REITs are attractive in some ways uh, because one would argue if if there's an expansionary cycle in the economy – which there could be, uh, then the demand for office space goes up, and real estate investment trusts tend to do better in those climates. And you can get in and you can get out of them pretty quickly. Uh, What about um, other forms of uh, master limited partnerships? Selectively could also be useful. Um, I'm a little concerned, as I said, about the future of oil and gas because I think it's going to be determined fairly soon. I've already started seeing the first articles come out on this, that the major oil companies have a lot of water instead of oil on their balance sheet. And that's going to take a hit to their stock sooner or later. Uh, I also don't think that we're going to dramatically increase the amount of natural gas we use in this country. Uh, By the way, I don't think coal mining is coming back. I don't think it's economic. And even if Trump's people gut the EPA, as they're threatening to do, you you, you can take all the regulations out you want. And at the end of the day, I don't think coal is going to be competitive. And we're already – we're already making as much natural gas as the market will absorb, and that's why um, oil's at the price that it's at, and that's why natural gas, fracking, which, as you know, I'm very much against, uh, is going on as fast as the market price will bear. So I don't see that changing under a Trump administration. There's not some magical formula that he could do or that I can think of that would make fracking even more economically desirable. And if he did, it would it would absolutely destroy his friendship with Putin. The price of oil drop further. Which of course Putin doesn't want, and the Saudis don't want. So um, there's all these variables. Uh, I've touched on a bunch of them in this conversation, and what I want to do is just keep looking at them, and uh, we'll be, we'll be doing the show um, as often as you say we should, Matt. And if that's monthly, great. If it's you know weekly or every other week or you know we. Come up with some special show in the middle of a month. That whatever you say, we should schedule. And if people on the audience have some preference, uh, would you want us to do a monthly show? Um, you know, punctuated with additional specials as needed, or would you like us to only do it when we've got something to say? Whether it's one week or four weeks or eight weeks since the last one, uh, do you want to see me do? A Twitter account where I could put stuff out every day that you could, or every other day, or whatever, uh, so that you could look at it. And I promise you, it would not be something I would do at three o'clock in the morning.
0: the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I think that's good, and you know, it's, uh, we're looking for your feedback. So if this is useful to you and you want to want to hear from us more often, please do let us know. Our email address is info, that's i n f o, at worldbusiness.org, and it'll also be in the show notes here. Uh, Renauld, are there any closing thoughts you want to talk about here before we sign off?
1: No, I just did, I want people to really know that I sincerely mean that you and I have been, we've been, you know, before the election we started noodling this question, and we're seriously noodling it now, which is, you know, what should be the frequency of this program and how should we approach it, and um, what should be the initiatives that we focus on in the academy apart from the ones that are germane only to our local area like the Diablo reactor and the and the and the um, and the issues associated with um, California providing uh, green energy. Um, I'd love to know how often people want to hear from us. Uh, and um, we'll try and figure out the best we can, you and I, Matt, if we don't hear from them. But um, I'm really open to a conversation. It's hard to have a conversation if I don't hear back from the audience. So the more effective we'll be is a direct result of how effective you are in getting a hold of us. And, and my final thought would be, at a time like this, with this degree of uncertainty, uh, with this degree of legitimate concern, uh, with this degree of potential downside, uh, with this degree of complexity, it is more important than ever that we do what Elizabeth Warren said. We've got to stay in touch with each other. We, 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 we got And by the way, I, I think this is a – everybody listening to this show, please write us and ask for a free subscription to the Optimist Daily. If there was ever a time that you wanted to see optimistic stories every day on your computer, this is it. Staying optimistic in the face of what we're dealing with is probably our best, our best alternative. And we'll be making it available for free to people, so I can't imagine why they wouldn't want to take it. And it'll cheer you up to find out all the things that are happening all over the world that you didn't know that are actually really good. And you go, oh, wow, that happened, and something that Trump didn't stop or that didn't get you know, collapsed in the Middle East. Uh, So having these stories, five stories a day, is very important. And And then the last thought is, please watch for the cover of Forbes magazine this month. Watch for the story of Just Capital. I'm very proud of the fact that Just Capital was launched out of a speech I gave at Deepak's request four years ago at the Sages and Scientists Conference. It's now chaired by and really driven by Paul Tudor Jones, who's an extraordinarily capable business person urge you, go look at the website, Just Capital. You'll see I'm on the executive committee of the board of directors of the finance committee, the audit committee, so I've been very, very involved in launching this endeavor. What we're doing, which I think, Matt, is more important now than ever, is we're trying to do that third part of our mission statement of the academy. We're trying to get people to connect with where their deep values are. And The way we're doing that is ranking the top 1,000 companies in America by how just they are so that the consumer can pick where they want to put their dollar i believe it's going to have enormous impact and i believe that given the political crisis that we've come through or that we're in the fact that business is trying now to stand up and be counted in a way that is um, more effective than ever before by having people know who are the good guys in business what are they doing And how would you like to see that happen with other people? How would you like to see other people in business copying copying what those good guys are doing? And these rankings, which are going to come out in Forbes, uh, are the first step in having that overview of the business community. So watch for the Forbes cover, Just Capital. And if you want to go to the Just Capital website, I would recommend that as also, and learn about what we're doing and how it could benefit you.
0: Thanks, Ronaldo. And, yeah, just wrapping up on that, on, on the question that I think is on everyone's mind uh, that I know and with my finger in the wind is what can I do? Uh, I think that what we're, we need right now is good information. And that's what Ronaldo has been pointing at here is spreading good information through your networks. There's a lot of bad information out there and uh, there's a lot of bad sources. I think spreading good information is key and identifying what you can do to get on board with the causes and issues that you care most deeply about. So whether that's uh, sending us a donation to the World Business Academy, which we would deeply appreciate, or whether it's signing up to volunteer at your local Planned Parenthood or uh, whatever issue that really captures your imagination, uh, do it. And, and spend an hour a day or two hours a week, whatever you can, getting into this engaged space where people are going to need your help from here on out. We uh, that one, to be a
1: network. Yeah. No, way. You know what? I just, I've said it before on the show. I want to say it. We need to be an effective network now more than ever. I, want to, I just realized I want to quote uh, from a letter I got uh, yesterday from the president of Just Capital, Martin Whitaker, uh, to me as a director. Uh, and he's going through an analysis of what happened and what it means for the Just Capital group. And he said, and I quote, let this day be one that galvanizes us and propels us forward to sunlit uplands. This is a time for stout hearts, clear minds, and quick feet. He then went on to quote a very interesting man. So I'm going to read you the quote. I'm going to tell you who wrote, who said it, and the year he said it and where. The quote is this one. You've probably heard it before. It's what inspires Martin and, frankly, has always inspired Martin, and it has always inspired me as well. The quote is as follows. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there's no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end, the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Theodore Roosevelt, Paris, 1910. Mm. Let's have victory, even if it's a little dusty and bloody in that arena. Let's stay together, let's work together, and let's create the, the world we all want to live in.
0: Thank you all. with that, yeah, I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. Please do share this link and send us your feedback at info at worldbusiness.org. And until next time, thank you very much.